From the newsrooms of the Sydney Morning Herald and The Age, this is Please Explain. I'm Samantha Selinger-Morris. It's Wednesday, October 25. It's been nearly three weeks since Hamas launched its bloody attack on Israel. And a ground invasion of Gaza is inevitable, the Israeli Defence Force said the other day, unless Hamas surrenders unconditionally. But what will an incursion into Gaza mean for the people there? How many people might lose their lives? And can horror lead to peace in the Middle East? International and political editor Peter Harcher says that previous conflicts foreshadow what might happen after Israeli troops hit the ground. Today, he joins me to discuss the lessons we can take from other wars and whether battle can ever be humane. So, Peter, you've just interviewed a military expert who has witnessed horrific wartime conflict, and he's given you a unique insight into what might happen to the people in Gaza should Israel launch a ground incursion there. So can you tell me about Mike Kelly and who he is? Yeah, Mike Kelly, a lot of people might remember him as a Labour member of Parliament in the Rudd years, but long before he went into Parliament, he was an Australian military officer. He spent 20 years in the military. He joined as a legal officer saw combat in a a range of horrible wars, Somalia, Bosnia, Iraq, East Timor, and as a colonel, was recruited by Rudd personally to stand for parliament, went into the Australian parliament, but on condition, he did a deal with Rudd, he told me, where he'd only agree to stand as a Labour candidate for the seat of Eden Monaro if an incoming Rudd government agreed to build a civil military centre, which now exists outside Canberra, as part of his career-long effort to put some humanity into war. And he studied a lot of uh, urban warfare and some of the most horrible stuff that he's seen and been involved in. And the urban war that he said most closely resembles what is in the process of just beginning in Gaza was the Battle of Mosul, which is the second biggest city in Iraq, which Daesh, otherwise known as ISIS or so-called Islamic State, took but where the coalition forces drove them out again in 2016-17 in the Battle of Mosul. This is the place where IS proclaimed its caliphate. Here it was born, and here Iraqi forces say it will die. That was the, the one that he says most closely resembles what's about to happen. Okay, and so if that's the template, if that's what we can draw lessons from, I guess, what did Mike say about what we might see on the ground in Gaza? How many civilian casualties, in addition to how humanity could possibly be preserved in this situation? It's uh, extraordinarily brutal, ugly and difficult. But in the case of Mosul, there were hundreds of thousands of people in the city uh, before the US-led eight-nation multilateral uh, force began their offensive. Urban warfare on a momentous scale caught below hundreds of thousands of civilians. This is the place where IS proclaimed... At the moment in Gaza, I I hear estimates uh, from the Israelis that there are maybe 700,000 civilians still in Gaza, in the northern part, that haven't evacuated as suggested, as advised, they do and go south. So that's a lot. There are hostages held by Hamas in Gaza in the hundreds, but we also know that the Hamas terrorists have been preventing at least some Gazans from leaving 
preferring to keep them around as human shields against potential Israeli attack. And the same thing happened in Mosul, where the Daesh fighters took tens of thousands of civilians hostage for exactly the same reason. In terms of numbers of people killed, well, there were uh, about 8,000 coalition troops killed in the Battle of Mosul and an estimated 10,000 civilians. Seven months after the start of the offensive, over half of total casualties are civilians. This man was killed by the jihadists. The estimate was uh, 40,000 buildings destroyed and uh, more than 10 million tons of rubble created uh, during a, a battle which was expected to take three months but ended up taking nine months. And so did Mike foresee, I guess, what might happen with this conflict, given that there's an estimated 30,000 Hamas fighters, and with ISIS there was only an estimated six to 12,000? Mm. Did he sort of make any, I guess, predictions based on that? Well, in Mike Kelly's view, he said if the Israelis fight in the same way that the multilateral force fought in Mosul, then you'd expect around the same level of casualties, around 10,000 civilians killed and presumably the same sort of numbers of Israelis as the 8,000 dead troops uh, on the coalition side in the Battle of Mosul. He cautions that nobody should accept, though, the Hamas body count, the Hamas casualty count, which Hamas is claiming that already some four to 5,000 people in Gaza have died. I mean, this is an outfit that seems, seems to think it's okay to butcher babies and attack civilians in their beds would you take their word for anything? And and uh, Mike Kelly's point is that a lot of people are sceptical when the US produces intelligence or intelligence estimates. And he said, why we should at least be as sceptical of Hamas and their versions of casualties as, as we are of the US. I mean, it's a good point and one that I don't think I've actually heard since this invasion sort of began. Well, Samantha, generally, when you see it in the papers, on online, in broadcast news, reporters just accept the Hamas figures. They say Palestinian authorities or the Palestinian health ministry. Well, that's all Hamas. They're the same terrorists. So, and they never differentiate. They never say, for example, so Israeli airstrikes today killed, you know, 200 of our fighters and 200 civilians. They always just give a grand number. And who can possibly tell whether they're telling the truth? And so what did Mike have to say about how humanity could possibly be preserved should this ground incursion occur, which is what we've been told to expect? Yeah. So his specialty is as a, an army legal officer, and he even went on to write a PhD on this same subject, was the laws of armed combat that kick into effect once there's a war underway, which this effectively is, and that we should judge Israel, to use his words, according to, to these criteria. Does a belligerent give warning to civilians in advance to get them out of the combat zone? Does a belligerent provide opportunity and, and assistance to get them out of the way? Does it provide humanitarian aid where possible uh, after an action, after a battle? That these are all important measures and also care in targeting and care in proportionality. That is that the, the laws of armed combat accept that there will be civilians killed it's the brutal reality of how war operates, especially urban warfare, but that it has to be proportionate to the military threat that the belligerent faces and the military gain that that belligerent, call it Israel in this case, uh, is, is seeking. And Kelly's point is that 
this is an existential threat to Israel because Hamas is trying to create a pylon effect to bring in other Iranian proxies and threaten the existence of Israel. So the stakes are ex as high as they get for Israel. His advice is that the world should judge Israel by those criteria as it goes into Gaza. Okay, and so is this a contained operation for Israel? You know, once this whole war is over, that's it? Or is there more? So, so far, the only declared objective from Netanyahu, the Prime Minister of Israel, is to, quote, destroy Hamas and not leave a single Hamas terrorist standing. So the objective is to go into Gaza and remove them. But this is a very narrow lens on the problem. Remember that Hamas is a proxy of the Iranian regime, that the October 7 attack was planned in conjunction with the Iranian government and forces. Uh, and therefore, beyond that narrow lens, what happens in the month, this is going to take months, while you've got this narrow combat, this is going to be ugly house-to-house, -house, building to building. The big question is, does Iran take advantage of the Israeli preoccupation with Gaza to bring in more of its proxies, Hezbollah across the border in the north, some Syrian militias that it influences. We've already seen a few stray uh, rockets from the Houthi rebels in Yemen, and perhaps, and there are many more if the Iranians decide to encourage that, to bring Israel under a multi-pronged siege and, and war. This is the much bigger question, and the longer the war goes on, or the combat mission against Hamas in Gaza goes on, the more options and opportunity it gives for Iran and potentially others to escalate. We'll be right back. Peter, I want to ask you about some overarching advice that Mike Kelly gave to you. He said, do everything possible to avoid war. Mm. Now, as you've pointed out in your column, it's too late for that. So is your conclusion that it's not actually possible to preserve a sense of humanity once Israeli tanks go into Gaza? Well, yeah. So his point is the best way to avoid horrors is not to go to war in the first place and do everything you can to avoid it. Of course, there are some circumstances where you can't, but where you absolutely must. But otherwise, try and avoid it. That's the only real way to keep humanity. I would point out that most countries, and certainly developed countries, have recognized Israel's right to defend itself, and that includes going after the terrorists that attacked its civilians on October 7. More realistically than a ceasefire, I think, you see in the last couple of days the UN and the EU both calling for a pause, a humanitarian pause by Israel to stop the bombing and the limited ground incursion, which started yesterday with a couple of tank uh, missions going into Gaza to, to, in the Israelis' words, collect intelligence and get out again. Of course, they're probing to try and find out where the hostages are being kept, uh, among other efforts to probe the Hamas defences. So the EU, the UN calling for a pause to allow more humanitarian aid to get in, that's more realistic. And we've seen humanitarian aid start to, you know, trickle, move through the rougher crossing already, and that's set to increase. But I don't think we can reasonably expect a ceasefire. So perhaps the lesson we need to take from all of this is that it all comes down to the dehumanization of people. You've quoted Mike Kelly as saying that the atrocities that Hamas has committed have resulted from a generation of people in Gaza being taught to dehumanize Israelis. And arguably, there's a generation of people in Israel who have likely been taught to dehumanize people in the occupied territories. Yeah, uh, hatred, ancient hatreds and grudges are uh, an ugly and unproductive thing. But 
but they're real. This is an ugly situation. There's no way around that, and it's going to be ugly and uglier for probably months to come. But if there is any hope in this, it's that once this is done and once uh, Hamas, it's not going to be eliminated entirely. It's got political officers and sympathisers who aren't in Gaza. But once Hamas's combat ability is, is degraded or reduced to near zero, only then will it be even possible to conceive of any peace negotiations that would lead to any sort of longer term solution to this intractable problem. So the horror is a precondition for the peace, and that's about as good as you can get, really. Well, thank you, Peter, for your time. Thank you, Samantha. Today's episode of Please Explain was produced by Julia Carcatzel, with technical assistance by Tom Campagnoni and David McMillan. Our executive producer is Ruby Schwartz. Please Explain is a production of The Age and the Sydney Morning Herald. If you enjoy the show and want more of our journalism, subscribe to our newspapers today. It's the best way to support what we do. Search The Age or smh.com.au forward slash subscribe. I'm Samantha Selinger-Morris. This is Please Explain. Thanks for listening.